You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. This evening, I invite you to pull out your Bibles if you have them. You can turn to a pew Bible if not, and we can turn together to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. We began just a few weeks ago going through this first book of the Bible. As I said, I'm not sure if we're going to get through three chapters or 11. We're not going to do the whole book at this point. Maybe we'll come back and finish it uh, in the future. But we're going to begin, again, verse 3 or first 3 or 11 chapters uh, in this series of going through this book. The title of the book, Genesis, comes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. The Hebrew is Bereshit, which is the first word we see translated in the beginning. And the Greek translation of that Hebrew word is Genesis, which comes to English English as Genesis. So this is Genesis, the beginning, the beginning of all things. And that's what we're considering now is literally the beginning of all things. We saw in verse 1, the creation of all things by God. And we come now to verse two to help us understand and augment our understanding of this wonderful act of creation by our God. So we're, our text is really Genesis 1 verse 2, but let's just read these first two verses this evening. So hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. After the act of creation of all things, verse 1, visible and invisible, earth and heaven, we come now to Genesis 1, verse 2, where we look to just the one facet of earth, the visible creation And we see what a created but unordered universe looks like. This verse 2 is chronologically between verse 1 and verse 3. This is an explanation of what the universe was like immediately after it was created, but before the universe was ordered beginning on day day 1 in verse 3. So this is that intermediate phase, that state awaiting creation. This is like a construction site when, the, the, when the, 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 the topography has been leveled, when it's been flattened and the lumber has been delivered to the site, it's awaiting construction. It's all there to, be, to begin framing the house. Or it's like an artist's studio that has the blank canvas sitting with the, the palette of oils and the paintbrushes ready to go. The visible world here is described as the earth. The earth is not actually referring to this earth particularly, but as to all of the visible created entity that God had made in verse one. And this earth was without form and void. This is a Hebrew phrase that's fun to say, so I'll say it and you might remember it and take it home with you. This is tohu vabohu. 
Tohu vabohu, this wonderful phrase that has that melody and, and rhythm and rhyme to it that was created, that was designed here to show that this world was not yet what it was fully intended to be. It was without form. This is not chaos and confusion, but simply an unordered reality, an unordered realm. Light had not yet dar- dawned, so things were dark and quiet formless and void or or empty. There's no form to what God had created. The place was empty and, and waiting for God to put his creation together and bring order to it with his creation. It's a wilderness awaiting the artist to begin the work of constructing a grand display of his glory. And it's here in this wilderness that the Holy Spirit enters the scene. This, again, another Hebrew word, the ruach. The ruach has two meanings. It can mean wind, but it also can mean spirit. And it's clear here, this is the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is here hovering over the waters. So we consider here the importance of the Holy Spirit. Right at the outset, before order was brought to creation, what is the importance of the Holy Spirit here on the outset for us today. We'll have three points. We'll unfold them as we go, but overall, we're going to see this. They're all gonna hit at facets of this truth. The Spirit giving life in creation and redemption causes us to worship God and enjoy our sure salvation. The Spirit giving life in creation and redemption causes us to worship God and enjoy our sure salvation. We're gonna look at three things. The first is creation is a Trinitarian work. So we'll put on our doctrine hats for a few minutes. And this is gonna show us who our God is, what he is like, how we, the, the God that we worship. We, we've read before, in this, even this morning, in the Nicene Creed, it said of God, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that's similar to what the Apostles' Creed says, Right? God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Often when we think of creation, we speak of the Father. And the normal attribution of creation in Scripture is indeed to God the Father. However, elsewhere in Scripture, we're seeing confirmation of a very important theological point. And that's this. The acts of God are undivided. The acts of God are undivided. The actions that God takes are undivided. In other words... God has one will, one essence, and acts without division with the three persons because God is one. Sometimes we can go to tritheism and think the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have separate minds and separate wills. But no, there's one divine essence, one divine will, and they're accomplishing all of their acts together. They're undivided, all persons of the Trinity. However, at the same time, Scripture is also very comfortable appropriating acts to particular persons. And in doing so is highlighting that person's role in the outworking of God's decrees. So that's why we often do attribute creation to the Father. But yet, Scripture affirms creation was done by the Holy Spirit and by the Son as well. And here we see a prime example where the Holy Spirit is a part of creation, that great act of creation. The Spirit hovering here, 
is preparing the world for that first day of creation that is about to begin. In other places of scripture, it affirms the creative work of the Spirit. In Job 26 and 33, Psalm 33 and 104, Isaiah 40, many other places. And in the Nicene Creed, as we discussed this morning, it says, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. So Gerhardus Voss says this, here in Genesis 1-2, hovering or brooding is another translation, has in view the stirring of life within lifeless material. The stirring of life within lifeless material. The Spirit is there to breathe upon this world and give life to it. So the Spirit is acting in creation, but also the Son is acting in creation. We read this earlier from John chapter one. And John three clearly says, all things were made through him. That is the word, the Logos, Jesus Christ. All things were made through him. And that's uh, confirmed in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1, Revelation 4, where Christ is called the creator. So we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together doing this great work of creation. Louis Burkhoff summarizes it this way. The work of creation was not divided among the three persons, but the whole work though from different aspects, is ascribed to each one of the persons. All things are at once out of the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Out of the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. All three are acting with the one divine will to accomplish God's purposes of creation. Herman Bovink quotes St. Augustine, St. Augustine, Augustine's city in Florida. Augustine is the church father. Bobbing quotes Augustine. He says, by this supremely, equally, and immutably good trinity, all things are created so that the entire creation bears the stamp of the trinity. By this supremely, equally, and immutably good trinity, all things are created so that the entire creation bears the stamp of the trinity. And this stamp includes a covenant. God has made a covenant with his creation, with all of his creation, particularly his people who bear his image, as we'll see as we unfold Genesis. But with all of his creation, God relates to all of his creation as king and Lord. All creation serves God. And the Holy Spirit is often presented throughout scripture as the divine witness to covenant ceremonies. You can think of the covenant God makes with Abraham and the flaming pot that comes down between the the flayed animals. That is the witness of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see hints of in a few minutes. The Holy, Holy Spirit is bearing witness to God's covenant with Abraham. And so here we also see the Holy Spirit present, bearing witness to God's covenant with all of creation. It is here to confirm to the creation that God is the alpha, the beginning, the first, the one to whom all things must submit. And for more, I'll put a commercial here for the Argyle Inn Forum at my house on two Wednesday evenings where we can talk more about this as we read J.V. Fesco's book on this topic. So next time we will get into this a little bit more on the Argyle Inn. But this Holy Spirit is bearing witness to this covenant being made with creation. All things are for the glory of God. All things are subservient to his lordship, his kingship. 
And so creation itself causes us to adore and to treasure and to glorify and worship God. Not God as some amorphous, unknown thing, but as he is triune. To worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for their great work of salvation. How all things are out of the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. These three persons, as our catechisms say, are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So creation leads us to worship. For who he is and his power and his lordship, all things owe everything to him. Creation is a Trinitarian work. Let's move secondly to consider creation as God's dwelling place. Creation is God's dwelling place. Genesis 1-2 shows us something about how God relates to creation and his ultimate goal for it. God and creation are not one. As the pantheists would tell you, God is not the same as his creation. The creation is not God. Creation is not part of the divine essence, as panentheists would tell you. We, the creation is not part of God. But creation is not, is not evil either. Dualists would say creation is evil. No, that is not true. Creation is not deserted by God, the deists who believe that. No, instead, creation and creator are absolutely and categorically distinct Yet, God still dwells with his creation. God is still known among his creation. And in fact, creation was for the display of God's glory and his dwelling. Isaiah 66 says it this way, as we read last time, was considered Genesis 1.1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Here, the Spirit's presence with creation indicates a temple. It indicates a place where God is dwelling. And so here, the Holy Spirit shows us that God is involved with his creation. He's not far off. He's not identified with this creation. He is distinct, but yet with his creation, involved in his creation. Creation is to be a place for him to dwell in glory and honor and righteousness. His presence is here, yes, in furtherance of creation. And we'll see that as we begin, as we move to the days in verse three next time. Yes, his presence is in furtherance of creation, but also includes the goal of creation. And that is God to dwell with his creation and specifically the creation that's made in his image. We see here, God is coming to his creation to make it a habitation for himself that he would dwell and allow his glory to be shown, allow his his wonderful love to to overflow to his creation. The takeaway is this. God is not merely big and transcendent, but he is very near and imminent. God dwells with us. He dwells with his creation and he knows your every word, your every thought, your every deed. And he is intent on displaying his creative benevolence in and being glorified by this creation. And he will do it. Don't think of God as far off and aloof and distant. God is very much near to us. 
So God, creation is God's dwelling place. And we're going to further this point with our third. And that is this. It's a little complicated up front, but hopefully as we unfold it, it will make more sense. The redemption of creation aims at the original goal of creation. The redemption of creation aims at the original goal of creation. There's some important connections between Genesis 1 and Deuteronomy 32. So I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I want you to turn over to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. And this is the, the, towards the end of the book, this great song of Moses. Moses' ministry leading Israel out of, out of slavery through the wilderness. And they're on the verge of going into the promised land, but Moses couldn't make it. He wasn't allowed to enter because of his own sin. And this is Moses kind of, kind of taking the torch to the next generation, handing off that torch, the end of his ministry, and has this wonderful song recounting all that God has done for his people and all the great redemption that he has done, praising and glorifying God. It's an astounding song here. But I want us to highlight verses 11 or sorry, 10 through 12, 10 through 12. And there's two words used in these phrases that are, or in these verses that are only used in Genesis 1 verse 2 and Deuteronomy 32. In all of the Pentateuch, two of these words, and one of them's used outside as well, but for two of them, this is the only place these words are used in the Bible. For, for one of them, only place in the Bible is Genesis 1 and Deuteronomy 32. The other word, it's this is the only two places in the Pentateuch. So there's a particular language tie here we see between Genesis 1 and Deuteronomy 32. That is important as we interpret Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Let me read these verses 10 through, through 12. He, speaking of God, found him. And that him goes back to, to Jacob, um, God's people, Israel. So God found Israel in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. That word waste is tohu. Remember that word tohu, vabohu, tohu. The first word is being used here. That's waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wing, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. That word flutter, like an eagle that stirs up its nest. So the image changes to, to, to a bird image, this eagle. That eagle flutters over its young. That same word flutters is the same word in Genesis 1 verse 2 for the Holy Spirit that hovers. So in both cases, we have a, 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 a formless entity where, where God is now hovering and fluttering and coming on the scene, whether it's a creation, this formless and void creation, where the Holy Spirit is now present, hovering over the water, or here in Deuteronomy 32, where we're speaking of the redemption of God's people. They were in the wasteland. They were in the wilderness. But God came like this bird-like image and hovered over his people. So we see first this, this bird image, this, this avian image of, of caring, God found Israel in that tohu, and he hovered and fluttered over Israel like a bird, caring for them, doing his work of renewing them in divine grace. And again, that's that same image of Genesis 1-2, this God caring for his creation, 
hovering over the formless creation, preparing to do his creative work of bringing order to it all. So this wonder, wonderful avian imagery. But we can go further than that even and see in, in Deuteronomy 32 verse 12, it goes beyond that to say the Lord alone guided him. And so this, this eagle imagery is also imagery of God guiding his people, not just caring, but guiding and leading them. How did God guide and lead his people? Through the wilderness? It was through the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. As he hovered over Israel, he becomes its guide and protector and leader. The cloud of God's presence during the day that pillar of fire by night is the same vision of the eagle, nesting, caring for its young, protecting them. And so connecting these imagery, the imagery of Genesis 1 with Deuteronomy 32 and Israel in the wilderness, both Genesis 1 and Israel in the wilderness experience this presence of God himself in his glory to bring about God's purposes in this world. Both creation and recreation take place when the spirit hovers like a bird, fluttering over the recipients of his divine actions. This cloud imagery is, is filled, filled all through our pages of scripture. It's everywhere. You, might, you remember um, the cloud was there at Mount Sinai as the cloud came down on the mountain. That same image of the fluttering and the hovering of God's very spirit was there on the mountain. As we've said, it's in the wilderness for Israel, the, the, the cloud by day and the fire by night. At the completion of the tabernacle and the completion of the temple, it is God's glory, the cloud of glory, filling these worship spaces. We see it over and over and over. We come to the new covenant and maybe its form changes a little bit. But we see the same glory presence of God's spirit. We see even with the Holy Spirit, how he overshadowed Mary to form the God-man in her womb. The same imagery of the Holy Spirit hovering over her to create Jesus Christ, the God-man, create his humanity in her womb. We see at Christ's baptism, that bird-like imagery of the Spirit, how it reemerges and comes down upon Jesus Christ and the Father speaks in that moment at Christ's transfiguration and glory. Again, the cloud descends and comes upon those who are out up on the mountain. And again, the Father speaks. In Christ's ascension in Acts 1.9, where it reads, he, Jesus, was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Something active is ascribed to that cloud. It's, a, it's doing something. This is the Holy Spirit at work to bring Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. And then, of course, you have the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost as these tongues of fire. All throughout Scripture, over and over and over, the glory presence of God's Spirit comes on the scene as we dwell with our God. And the cloud returns at the consummation of all things. Revelation 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. He's coming with the clouds. And that's not just some statement of, uh, of, of the, the clouds in, in, that we see in the sky. And you learn the different kinds of clouds. And all. That's not what this is speaking of. This is that same cloud imagery we've seen all throughout scripture. The same cloud that took Jesus away is the same cloud that is coming back in glory with Jesus Christ. This is the Holy Spirit at work. 
Christ's return triggers the recreation of all things. And so it is no wonder the image returns of the spirit in his cloud of glory coming down, hovering as it were over the earth, preparing that new heavens and the new earth, that place where righteousness dwells. These are not arbitrary connections that we find in scripture. But these kinds of connections are a natural, organic con- uh, images that arise out of the text. This connection of this thread comes throughout all of God's word, and we are, it is designed by God for us to see it, to take heart in it, and to enjoy it. Meredith Klein summarizes it this way. We behold in the spirit presence hovering over the world at its beginning, the shape of the world to come. Because that spirit that comes in Genesis 1-2, who's hovering over the face of the waters, is the Holy Spirit that comes when Christ returns in glory. That will be hovering over all of creation. So we have not just God, the alpha creator, creator, but now the omega consummator. The beginning and the end, the beginning and end of all things is set between God, spirit hovering at the beginning, and God's spirit again hovering at the end bringing order to formlessness, bringing righteousness to a place that is wrecked by evil and chaos. This is wonderful and beautiful and good news for us. From the outset, the Spirit is present, preparing to make the world God's dwelling place, bringing order to formlessness, the place where God can be glorified by his creation, especially as covenantal image bearers where we can worship and glorify God. But after we rebelled against God, the spirit is again present. He's redeeming us, preparing to redeem the world, bringing us back to that original pre-fall goal of creation, the consummate temple of God. And that's why John declares, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man that final day when Christ does return and sets up his kingdom on this earth forever and ever and ever is because the Spirit hovers. It is because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit not only acted in creation, but acted in redemption together and acted to, to bring the consummation of all things together. But the Spirit is there. The same Spirit who hovered over the earth for creation will hover over the earth for recreation. And hear this. He is the same spirit who indwells God's people and makes them, though fallen they are by nature, temples fit for God. Because that's what creation was originally meant to be, a temple, a place where God dwells. But though our sin has marred it, it has not thwarted God's eternal purposes. He is making this place his eternal temple this place to dwell with us. And the Spirit, even so quickly appearing on the scene in Genesis 1 verse 2, helps us to see God is at work. Creation is a Trinitarian work. Creation is God's dwelling place. The redemption of creation aims at the original goal of creation. So this Holy Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, not only, not only brings order to the tohu vabohu of creation, but he brings order to the tohu vabohu of our sinful fallen hearts. There's a glorious act of grace that he would do such a thing in our hearts. And so as a result of this, we look to Christ in faith and trust in him 
and give thanks and glorify our God in heaven. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.